Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. So today, basically what I want to do with this episode is I want to speak about, there's pretty much two components. One of them is a brain fact, but I'll be diving a little bit deeper because I think it's a quite an important brain fact that's relevant to absolutely everybody. And that is the importance and the role um, of magnesium. So the role that magnesium plays, not just within the body, but primarily what I'm going to be talking about is the role that magnesium plays in your brain and kind of what happens if you don't have enough magnesium. And I'm going to be talking about it on quite a cellular level. So you get a really good understanding of why it will affect so many different things within your brain and not just one thing. Um, so that's really quite interesting, I think. So I'll be delving a bit deeper into that. I did get a lot of feedback that people are loving the science of it. And I think that this is just one of the perfect ways to do a bit more of a science-based episode today. Then after that, I'm going to be going into discipline and I'm going to have four specific hacks for you guys, four main points for discipline. Um, and I'm going to be breaking those all down and things that you can implement. And this has got to do with the whole idea of, um, people waiting for motivation, waiting to feel motivated or driven. And something that I get asked a lot, and not just me, but a lot of people get asked, what what do you do differently? What is what is it that you're doing so you can get out of bed and just and just want to put in the work or get out of bed and want to train or get up? You know, this is a really common question. And I think a lot of people are trying to find that magic pill as an analogy like they're trying to find what is what are you doing differently what's something kind of out of the realm of what I've thought about that you're doing that I can do and people are quite disappointed often to find out that there's nothing that these people are doing differently that are getting them to achieve these great results so when they discover that when they're like wait a minute but there's nothing really special that you're doing differently you're just doing all the mundane shit but consistently How come I can't bring myself to do that every day? And the reason for that is that most people will rely on motivation and that is your killer. You don't want to do that. So the the flip side of motivation is discipline. And that's kind of what I want you guys relying on. So we're going to talk about these main four points. I'll break it down for you after I speak about this science fact on um, magnesium. So let's get straight into it today, guys. Let's talk about magnesium on the brain. So magnesium, what is it to start with? Magnesium is a mineral. It is one of the fourth, like the, the, in the four most abundant minerals within the human body. And it's involved in a lot of processes. And due to this, because it's used so much in the body for so many different things, A lot of people are actually deficient in their magnesium intake, depending on their diet. Not like massively deficient, but a lot of people could do with a bit more magnesium. And one of the reasons for this is because unless you're getting something that's grown in like really organic soil, most of the the veggies that are grown in, they're grown in um, soil that is depleted. And that's soil that is often like you know, used and reused and reused where the soil doesn't get to rest. I mean, I'm sure there's more of a science behind that. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I have definitely not researched that a lot. But basically, a lot of the soil where veggies are grown are depleted. And soil is what kind of gives all the veggies or any like plants or anything, all the minerals. So if the soil is depleted, we're not getting the magnesium in a lot of the veggies that or foods that we expect. And then when we're eating it, we're getting a bit of a depletion. So that's why you should make sure that you are firstly eating 
enough of the foods. I'm going to go into the kinds of foods that you need to be eating in a bit. But also you can very easily be supplementing your diet with magnesium as well. So I'll go into that as well. So it's a macro mineral and it's essential for muscle contractions, hence why it's so important for heart health, um, blood pressure, synthesizing DNA and RNA and other proteins within the body as well. But the role that it plays on the brain is huge, huge. It's, it's very neuroprotective for the brain. So I'm going to break it down. It's a bit complicated, but I'm going to, I really want to break this down for you guys so you understand it in the most, I, hopefully, digestible way possible. So in the brain, magnesium sits inside the NMDA receptor. So think about that and just put that idea aside. The NMDA receptor is one of the two main receptors for the neurotransmitter called glutamate. And I've spoken about this before. Glutamate is the major excitatory neurotransmitter in the body. It's basically what sends signals through the cells to take action, to excite, to send a signal to another cell. So it excites versus other neurotransmitters that may inhibit. So it stops the firing of a cell, whereas this promotes firing within the cell. Okay. So that is glutamate. NMDA receptors sit on the surface of a cell and that's that's called the cell membrane so the 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 whatever pockets the cell into like its bubble it's it's you know what you know what packages it in is a membrane okay and these receptors sit and not just nmda receptors a whole bunch of different receptors there's there's thousands of them but they sit on the surface kind of like it's like a gate, right? And it's normally the main configuration is that that gate is shut, okay? Especially with an NMDA receptor. Those things are like spread across this cell in a closed configuration. And then you've got other glutamate um, receptors, which are called AMPA receptors. So the way it works is that magnesium sits inside the NMDA receptor. It's a magnesium ion and it is blocking that magnesium receptor. So nothing can enter for now, okay? And the way it works is magnesium is stopping excessive amounts of glutamate from entering the cell. Magnesium acts as a gatekeeper. So you've got the membrane of the cell, there's that ion channel there which is the NMDA receptor and you've and it's currently right now it's blocked with a magnesium ion block, okay? So that way glutamate right at, at this moment even though glutamate might be landing on that on that channel. At the moment, nothing is happening. Now, a breakdown of what glutamate actually does separate to it being excitatory. Glutamate is something called an endogenous ligand. So basically all that means is endogenous means that it's produced by the organism. So you, your body produces it. It's not a drug that you've taken. You make it naturally. And a ligand is basically an activator, something that binds to something and activates it. Okay. So glutamate binds to the receptor and activates it. But glutamate is not what's entering the cell. It just activates the cell to open. And these cells are are selective to whatever neurotransmitter. So it could be dopamine, it could be serotonin. Each neurotransmitter acts on on particular receptors. In this case, glutamate activates that receptor. The receptor opens, right? And then it allows an influx. In this scenario, it's allowing an influx of calcium okay and you've got calcium potassium sodium there's a whole bunch of different um ions that can flow in and out of the cell okay in this scenario we're talking calcium now glutamate 
isn't really doing much right now to the NMDA receptor. That receptor is staying shut because it's blocked by magnesium. But there's another receptor right next to it called the AMPA receptor. The AMPA receptor is way more sensitive to glutamate. So glutamate lands on the AMPA receptor, really low levels of glutamate, and the AMPA receptor opens, allowing an influx, a small influx, but an influx of calcium, okay? When you get enough activation of these AMPA receptors, so there's heaps of them and they're all getting bang, 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 they're all getting activated, enough calcium enters the cell and then finally that influx can then activate the NMDA receptor to kind of, for that magnesium block to pop off and the magnesium block pops off and then you get way more uh, calcium entering the cell, calcium ions entering the cell and then you get an activation. The reason for this is that that means that if you're getting really low levels of glutamate landing on the NMDA receptor, that receptor is ultimately never really going to open. The, the magnesium block won't get unblocked and you're not going to get a big influx of it. Now, this is a good thing because when you have too much ex- excitability within the cells, you get something called excitotoxicity. And that's where you're getting way too much activation of the cell, way too much firing, which then can actually cause cell death. And cell death can then cause obviously a whole array of problems because you've got neurons that are dying because they're being activated way too much from too much glutamate activation on, on the receptors. And then that can actually cause neurological diseases and problems and you know some of these problems for like low magnesium and too much activation and excitotoxicity can can cause things like chronic pain alzheimer's disease migraines epilepsy it even causes things like anxiety and depression so this is one of the reasons why you can understand that magnesium is now so important for the brain because if you're depleted in magnesium within your brain then you're getting too much activation from glutamate you're getting too much of an influx too much um, excitability within the brain. And like I said, that can cause a whole bunch of things, including things like depression, anxiety, all of that. Okay. So crucial to have that magnesium block within the NMDA receptor. And it's crucial for that to be working properly and consistently all the time. Additionally to all of that, magnesium is really good at helping relax vascular smooth muscles. So vascular is like your, your blood supply, your veins, your arteries, the muscles, the, the smooth, the vascular smooth muscles are basically the muscles that surround the arterial walls, okay? When that happens, it means that you get more vasodilation, so more dilation of those arteries and therefore increased blood flow to the brain. Now, blood flow to the brain is absolutely crucial. The brain uses up a lot of oxygen and needs a lot of blood flow because oxygen is provided to the brain via the blood. So, when you look at people with degenerative diseases, a lot of the time they have hypertension, which is like problems within blood pressure and not enough pressure. You're not getting sufficient blood flow and and um, at, at a good enough rate to all the areas of the brain. And so then you start getting like little bits of the brain here and there that aren't getting enough oxygen and dying off. So with magnesium, you're helping like a proper amount of blood flow to be reaching the brain at a consistent level. And then that also helps with other things. That, that's going to give more energy to the brain. Just like anything, when you have more oxygen to all your muscles, for example, those muscles are going to perform. Then if you completely restrict them from oxygen, at one point they're going to be completely depleted and not be able to perform. Okay, So the same goes for the brain. The more oxygen you're getting, the more energy you're going to have the more it's going to help with your actual brain performance, your focus, your attention, all of the above. Another thing is that 
when there's too much excitability within the brain and when you're getting uh, tox- um, excitotoxicity and cell death, that is then causing some level of inflammation within the brain as well. And when you have inflammation within the brain, that's when you're going to get things like headaches and migraines and things like that. So having more magnesium is going to help keep certain kinds of inflammation at bay. It's going to be preventing a lot of different, not all inflammation, but preventing a whole bunch of different inflammation, at least from cell death due to excitotoxicity. Then we've got things like after a traumatic brain injury, they notice that magnesium levels go down and within the brain when you've got trauma within the brain. So then you're getting like this double whammy of the fact that you've got the injury to the brain and then there's not enough magnesium there. So then you're getting more excitability and you've got too much glutamate, too much calcium, and then that equals more degeneration within the brain. Okay. So, and then lastly, of course, let's go into the depression side of things. Um, magnesium has been linked to be or to assist with antidepressant effects in a whole bunch of at least experimental studies that they've found. And this is because it has a, it plays a big role. Glutamate, they're not exactly sure the exact link, but glutamate pa- plays a big role in the serotonergic neurotransmitter systems and the monoamines and all of that. And those are the particular neurotransmitters that are targeted with antidepressants, okay? And if glutamate plays a big role where there's too much excitability and this and that, then it's kind of messing around with the role of um, these neurotransmitters. And if you guys remember when I spoke about, it was a couple of episodes ago, and I spoke about ketamine and how ketamine is now being trialed as a potential antidepressant through a nasal spray, um, a particular dose, whatever, I won't go into that. Ketamine works heavily on the glutamate pathways as well. So you're looking at a drug here that instead of an antidepressant, which is focusing on certain neurotransmitters such as serotonin, norepinephrine, um, and things like that, Ketamine focuses on glutamate and the excitability and kind of like playing around with the levels of excitability and lowering the excitability, okay? So it's a kind of a different way to tackle um, depression. So with most things in the brain, a lot of it is not 100% clear. Like you, you can maybe understand the mechanisms of action, but you're not really understanding the underlying cause of something. And so they are finding that glutamate does play a role in these things. So if magnesium is there kind of, Um, as the gatekeeper to how much activation is going to occur with glutamate, then it understands why ketamine plays the role it does because it kind of plays around with the glutamate release and magnesium also helps regulate what glutamate does within the brain. So really, really, really interesting. Now I want to go into kind of foods that you can be taking that have really good levels of magnesium. There's a whole bunch of them. It's the, the beauty of it is, is that magnesium is in so many different foods, but you might still have a depletion in magnesium. So let's go through a few. Dark, very dark chocolate has very high levels of magnesium. So we love this for us. I love this for me. I love dark chocolate. Nuts, in particular, almonds, cashews and brazil nuts are the ones you want to be eating cashews are phenomenal for so many different things they've been like really linked to studies with like with antidepressant effects not just because of the magnesium but for other reasons as well so they're phenomenal avocados seeds in particular pumpkin seeds phenomenal fatty fish like salmon um bananas they're not just good for potassium but great for magnesium um leafy greens They're packed with magnesium as well. But again, like I said, with like the soils and stuff, you might not be getting as much magnesium as you might think you're getting. 
They're just to name a few. And then, of course, you can supplement your diet with magnesium like tablets. So I normally take magnesium every single day. I just take one tablet a day. Um, I take it for, because it's obviously it's good for your brain, but it's also really good for your heart and your muscles as well. So I always find that fine. And, it, it, you know, if you're not having obscene amounts of magnesium, then it's fine. I'm not really quite sure. So don't quote me on this, but I'm not really quite sure on the whole, can you have too much magnesium? I know that there is a threshold and you can actually have too much magnesium. So I'm not here saying go and pump yourself full of magnesium, but it's like finding that right balance and making sure that you are having some magnesium in your diet. It's not going to hurt you if you're just having a normal diet to then supplement it with a magnesium tablet or something like that once a day, that's going to be fine. Um, Cool. So that was my like spiel on magnesium and brain health. And I am going to be kind of tapping into more of these brain health hacks for you of different minerals that you probably should be looking into and also different food groups that you should be looking into as well. Because when you look at your diet, you don't just want to look at your diet as something to, you know, keep you lean and make you look good. You know, there's so many, so much information out there. Um, especially on Instagram about diet and what diet you should be taking and what diet is bullshit and this and that and this and that. But those people are referring to facts about diet when you're talking about, in most cases, fat loss, okay? And that's all well and good. I'm not even going to comment on that because the facts that they're talking about may be when it comes to fat loss. But you also need to look at your diet when it comes to brain health, which in my opinion is infinitely more important than just fat loss and looking hot, okay? So you're, it's all well and good to, to want to be lean and to take care of that. That's 100% do that. I do as well. That is important. But your priority should be what are you taking in your diet that's going to supplement your brain health, number one, first and foremost, because your brain health is going to determine your sleep health, is going to determine your mental health, and those things are then going to play a role in how you're actually going to enjoy your life and your longevity and everything else that cascades down from that, okay? So please pay attention to when you listen to people talk about diet, what are they referring to? Because normally people are, have an agenda when they speak about it. When I talk about it, my agenda is brain health, okay? When other people talk about it, it might, must be, might be for something else, okay? So keep that in mind every time you come across an expert in the field talking about what you should and should not be eating and what is important and what is not. For example, here's another example. You hear a lot of people going on about how fasting is bullshit. It doesn't, nothing, it doesn't... That may be so when you're talking about fat loss. Maybe fasting, I, again, I don't, I don't ever call myself an expert when it comes to weight loss or whatever. I'm not the person to go to. So that might be true that fasting overall isn't going to really impact your, your um, weight loss as long as you're overall in a caloric deficit, okay? However, there are many, many, many studies that show that fasting can be quite beneficial to certain aspects of brain health. And I'm going to go, I'm going to do some episodes on, on that later, but that kind of gives you an idea of what I'm talking about when I say that just because fasting might not be good for fat loss, that does not mean that it's not good for other things. Okay. Sweet. Okay. We've got that covered. That's the brain health side of things today. Now I really want to be going into the other section of today's podcast, which is all about discipline. Okay. So like I said at the start of the episode, discipline is pretty much like it's doing something regardless of how you feel. You're not relying on motivation or you're not having this crazy drive that day. You want to look at discipline as kind of like the backbone for getting things done. That's what you want to be like. You want to rely on discipline. And 
don't get me wrong. Motivation is, is not a bad thing. Motivation is fucking great. Motivation is what gives us the initial ideas in the first place. It's what gives us like that, you know, the dare to dream kind of thing that, that, that we have, that we all have moments of within the day. I love motivation, but I don't rely on it and nor should you. Motivation is phenomenal to have that kind of the end goal in sight. Okay. It's really good to imagine these things, have the the vision of it there. And I am going to do a whole podcast on visualization and how you can make that work for you and why it is actually really good. But you, you do want to be excited about that end goal. But the main thing you want to do is you want to be able to link the excitement and the motivation of your end goal to the mundane nature of the everyday task, which is discipline to get you to that end goal. So you want to be linking the two together. But motivation kind of comes and goes. It's kind of like a wave. You don't really choose when it comes. It just, oh, it comes. there might be certain things that you can do to, to like enhance how often you're getting motivated, but you never really want to rely on it. You want to rely on discipline. Okay, so let's do this. We've got four points. Number one, realistic time constraints. Okay, so what I mean by this is often when we set out to do a task, we think today I'm going to dedicate four hours to this task. Four hours is a very long time to be focused on a task that requires a lot of like attention or a lot of energy. It's a, it's a lot. Okay. And then we feel bummed that we can't do it. So then we categorize ourselves as somebody that, you know, Oh, I'm ADD or I can't be focused or I can't. No, no one finds it easy to focus intensely for four or five or six hours at a time okay you need to have like blocks and breaks blocks and breaks that's how the brain kind of loves to operate so what I would recommend you do is you number one find your sweet spot what is the ideal amount of focusing time where you're not getting um you're not getting like a burnout well I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it burnout but you're not getting lethargic and distracted and switching off but it's long enough that you allow yourself enough time to get into a flow state where you're focusing and when you're in the zone because if you're doing 15 minute blocks it's probably not enough time to get into this awesome flow okay now my what I recommend for everyone is depending on the task between like 45 minutes to an hour to me 45 minutes is just the perfect sweet spot because what I do is I everything's blocked in in an hour and I'll do like 45 minutes focused 15 minutes doing whatever the fuck I want, you know, and it's enough time to recharge my batteries, to, you know, talk about something funny, switch off, text someone, go and make myself a coffee, do whatever, okay? Now, alongside these time constraints, because what I just referred to is if this is something that's like an ongoing thing, let's say it's your job, um, study, uh, your passion project, whatever. That's something that kind of doesn't really end. Separate to those time block, realistic time blocks, where you think, okay, 45 minutes is realistic. I can do it, get it done, and then I treat myself. Separate to that, I also set timers for tasks where I can race against the clock, okay? I love competing against myself. I love setting like tasks where I have to beat my PB. So obviously when it comes to something that requires a lot of focus and attention, I'm not trying to race the clock. Fuck that. Like I'm, I'm paying attention and I'm taking the time I need. But for things that are like mundane, e.g. housework, taking out the rubbish, you know, um, quickly skimming through my emails, um, replying to certain things, all of that 
can be done on a timer and I love to beat my time. So what I normally do most mornings is I'll set like 30 minutes. How much housework can I get done in 30 minutes? Because for me, I have a much clearer mind. When my space, when my physical space around me is clear, my mind is clear, okay? Literally clutter around me equals clutter in my head. And I highly recommend you declutter your life. So 30 minutes every morning, I'm tidying up, I'm vacuuming, I'm checking, I've done the laundry, I'm doing a scan and I am racing against the clock. Two good things come from that. One, I actually get shit done and I don't have to overthink, oh good, I'm procrastinating on my housework. It just gets done. It's almost enjoyable because I'm listening to great music. I'm having a great time by myself cleaning my own home. And two, because I'm in this heightened energy state where I'm bouncing around the house, I actually get really like I'm in the zone already. So when that's done, when I switch off the music, when I've done the housework for the 30 minute timer, I'm actually kind of hyped and ready to go for my other tasks within the day. So I highly recommend you do something at the start of the day and make it a game. You race against a 30 minute timer. You've got a great playlist, all of that. Of course, like I said, if it requires focused attention, do not race against the clock for that shit. Obviously that goes without saying. Number two, this is a huge one, delayed gratification, okay? You always have to think, what am I getting in return? We love reward. The brain loves reward. You're not a martyr. You do something to get something out of it, whether it's personal gain or whether it's to see someone else happy or whatever. But we always do something for a result, okay? And if the thing that you're doing, you're not going to see the result in weeks' time or at the end of the week or in months' time, it kind of kills the excitement of it a little bit, you know? It's kind of like, oh, yeah, if I think about that bigger picture, yes, I can get excited, but right now, I'm kind of bummed because this is taking forever. I'm not saying anything. So you need to set little rewards for yourself along the way. Kind of, you know, just treat yourself like you would a child or a dog, okay? You set a reward. You want a task done, you you give yourself a reward. What I do is when I'm doing that time blocking that I just mentioned, I then delay any potential gratification that I can have, I delay it. So for example, I really want my morning coffee, okay? Or, well, let's be honest, my second morning coffee. I already pumped out the first one like long before I was even awake, okay? So the second coffee, I really want that second coffee. So what I do is I think, okay, I'm going to clean everything, 30-minute timer, and then I set, set another 30-minute timer, get all my emails done, get the to-do list for the day. I set myself up. You are not allowed to have that fucking second coffee, Alexis, until that is done. I fly through those tasks with like – with gusto okay and then once that's done I'm enjoying that coffee that's delayed gratification I also do the same with when I'm going to eat I'm like okay maybe I can get two blocks done and then I have lunch um and then say like I really want to watch something funny that someone sent me let's do one more block and then I can watch that funny video and then if it's something like when I used to when I was studying my delayed gratification was I'd watch like 15 minutes of sex in the city right love that so much. And then again, bang, 45 minutes. And the beauty of it is you, A, look forward to it. And B, when you're doing it, you're so thrilled that you're doing it, that you're just totally switching off the original task that you were working on. And that's what you want. You want total rest from what you were just doing. So that way you can revisit it with fresh eyes. Okay. So whenever possible, find ways to delay gratification. What's it going to be? And little things, easy things that you can replicate every single day. It doesn't have to be some monumental gift to yourself. That's a bit, don't make it dramatic, make it simple. Okay, number three, and I cannot stress on number three enough, rituals, create some rituals, okay? This is the way I look at it. I'm going to go into rituals in a second, but let's preface it with this. 
we always avoid something that represents discomfort. Fair enough. Who wants to do something that's not comfortable, especially if it's something that you've got to do all the time, okay? So that's normal. Shit like, for me, I hate taking out the rubbish. I hate taking out the rubbish, okay? So that's been like my Achilles heel of house tasks. I'll scrub a toilet before I have to take out the rubbish. So on tasks like that, and this is all sorts of things. It could be, for example, for you, it could be your emails. Do you hate getting back to your emails? Is it your, your daily house chores? Is it the laundry? Is it what, whatever, whatever it is. There's certain tasks throughout the day that are not really that pleasant, okay? And then there's certain tasks that might be pleasant, but they're not really that exciting. Those are the tasks that you want to build into set rituals. I would advise that you have a ritual in the morning, And a ritual in the afternoon. And what I mean by ritual is that you do set things in a set order. The beauty of doing this is that it only feels uncomfortable probably in the first week, maybe two weeks max. We're talking about basic tasks that just represent discomfort. Like for me, taking out the rubbish, okay? If you turn it into like a ritual of like, I'm going to go bang, 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 bang in that order then before you know it, it's almost part of like what I was saying, that timed game. It's like, right, can I race against the clock? Can I do this? You know, you're doing it in a set order. It now becomes just a habit. You don't even think about it. If you give yourself too much time to think about a task that you want to do, you're not going to do it, okay? You're just not going to do it because in that time frame that you give yourself, you come up with an infinite amount of excuses as to why you don't have to do it now or why you don't have to do it at all and why someone else might be doing it, okay? You don't want to give yourself that time to make excuses, okay? A ritual cuts all of that out. It cuts all peripheral thinking and you just go through the motions, It's really great also to calm the mind to have these kind of rituals. And I've spoken about my morning ritual in the past, like I wake up, have a big glass of water, meditate, go get ready, all of that. My recommendation is that you don't make your ritual way too long. It's got to be kind of a pretty simple thing, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour for the morning ritual. And pack in a bunch of things that you don't really um, love to do, but you can get it done and do that as many times of the day that you need to do it. Like I personally have just the morning one. And then sometimes I try and do one in the middle of the day, but my morning one is kind of like the non-negotiable one, but figure out what works for you. You might be someone that needs a couple of rituals throughout the day to help you stay on track. Okay. But remember the point of a ritual is so that you get over something being disconnected a discomfort. And so you stop avoiding it and for it to just become second nature that you get done. Okay. So embrace rituals in your life. And when you do this, every task that you do, it's in the same order every single time. So it becomes, you are on autopilot when you do it. You don't even think about it. Book recommendation for you guys. It's kind of around this topic, but not at all. It's got nothing to do with rituals. Lol. So irrelevant, but very relevant. It's It's called the five second rule. It's this woman called Mel Robbins and she basically talks about kind of the psychology behind when you hesitate to do something, you then, if you take longer than five seconds to action something in that moment, like get out of bed or turn the water off when you're in the shower or whatever, pick up the phone to make that phone call. If you take longer than five seconds to do a task that you're not thrilled about, then you've given yourself enough time to step in and convince yourself otherwise as to why you shouldn't do it. Okay. So that's really something that I would recommend you kind of, I mean, read the book if you want or listen to some talks of Mel Robbins, but it's an interesting concept that she discusses, which is true. We are really good at talking ourselves out of something, okay? So when it comes to trying to stay on task and staying disciplined, 
I highly recommend you look into things like the five second rule or it's, it's very basic, but it works. Um, and things like rituals. Okay. Stunning. Okay. And the fourth and final one is create a hype moment for yourself. And when I mean moment, it can literally just be a moment or it can be like three minutes. Okay. This is one of the best ways to really like ramp up your energy levels and your drive towards something that you are doing. Okay. This is not necessarily to get you motivated. This is to get you in a primed state ready to go. Okay. So you have to look at how your physicality and how your mindset, everything we all, we change. It's we're always in a state of flux, but think about when you've just finished, you know, like a workout or when you've just like had a laugh with somebody that's, you know, been hilarious or where you've just, whatever, like there are moments in your life where you're like, whoa, that was a transformative last five minutes or hour or whatever, where you're ready to go. Your posture's different. You're breathing deeper. You're more focused. When you breathe deeper, when you've got more blood flow to the brain, you've got more laser focus. When you've had maybe more like movement through the body, you've got a little bit of adrenaline and adrenaline, especially in small doses, is fantastic. Okay. You don't want crazy amounts of stress all the time. That's not great, but little bits of adrenaline and excitement is what actually, um, zones in on your focus. Your focus becomes a lot sharper when you've got some adrenaline running through your body or epinephrine. If it's in the brain, it's norepinephrine or epinephrine. Okay. So that is what you are kind of aiming to achieve. You have a bit of a hype moment before you get into a task. Now, this is so easy. It could be literally, this. there's a bunch of examples I can give you. You've got one particular song that hypes you up, you put your headphones on and you get in the zone. Another one could be you literally set a timer, ideally with music because it helps you hype up, and you just do like 20 seconds of just moving your body around, jumping up and down. You can do skipping, that's going to get your heart rate up. There's a whole bunch of different things that you can do I personally love to do it with music. That's what I do. And then there are other things as well that you can do. Like um, Tony Robbins talks about something. It's like a particular breathing that he does, but it's like this really physical where he's reaching his arms up and down in the air. It's I think they do it in certain yogas as well, where you're getting like really big deep breaths again and again, and you're moving your arms up and down. I wish I knew what it was called, but I don't. But that's a really, really good way to prime you into that state ready to go. You're like ready to take action kind of like flight or fight, but nowhere near as extreme. So you're kind of tapping into that ability of like action, but not as intense and nowhere near as like, um, nowhere near as much chemicals flooding through your body as if it were actually fight or flight, but you're kind of tapping into that science. Okay. So this hype moment is honestly one of the best things you can do to get in the zone because you are not relying on motivation here. You're relying on an influx of more oxygen and a release of certain neurochemicals that are actually priming you to be more focused and alert in that moment. Okay. But notice that the the theme here in this hype moment includes physicality. You must move your body when you are doing this hype moment. I can't stress that enough. The reason being, and this and when I said moving your body, again, like I said, it could be big, deep breaths, but arm movements. You don't have to do a workout. It doesn't have to be a workout. So if you're somebody that's like, I don't want to do this, I don't know, don't. But you have to move your body, okay? The reason for that is, is that when you move your body, you literally change your mindset in that moment. 
Your physicality is a representation of your thoughts in that moment. The moment you change your posture, the moment you change how you move, how you breathe, then your thoughts start to um, mirror that, okay? So confident positions, confident breath, big movements equals much more open, confident, proactive thoughts. Everything small, hunched over, whatever equals like complacent, bored. You're probably wanting to be distracted because you don't want to face anything for the day. You're not ready to like tackle the day. Okay. So when you create this hype moment for yourself, include physicality. That is crucial. You want blood to the brain. Okay, guys. So that was the four points for today. Let's, let's um, summarize. Number one, realistic time constraints. So your time blocking. And then of course, in addition to that, if you can set timers to race, race against the clock on mundane tasks that you don't need too much focus on. Number two, delayed gratification. Drill that into yourself. Like my mother used to drill this into me as a child. Delayed gratification. Ask yourself, what am I getting in return if I do this task? It could be a coffee. It could be anything. Create a list of things that you can treat yourself with throughout the day. Okay. Number three, rituals. Create some rituals around the tasks that you don't love to do but need to be done, okay? And if you can, throw in a meditation here and there, especially in the mornings, that's ideal. So rituals, that is number three. And number four, create a hype moment and make it your go-to hype moment every time you're about to embark on like a day where you want to get shit done, okay? If you implement these four tasks, your life will change, but you have to implement it. Guys, you've got to do it. Just commit, make commitment to yourself and just say to yourself for the next two weeks, no matter what happens, I'm going to implement these four things. Notice that you're not saying to yourself, I have to finish this massive task. I have to do. No, I'm just going to implement these four hacks to increase my drive okay, to improve my discipline. So it's very actionable because you're not saying I have to see this end result. You're just saying I'm putting in these tweaks in my lifestyle. Let's see what we can do over the next two, three weeks with these tweaks. And if it doesn't work for me, I can throw it away. But give yourself a good shot. It's three weeks and you're just implementing four simple and very doable hacks, okay? Amazing. Now, before I wrap up, I actually just wanted to go over someone, um, someone sent me a DM just like last week, I think about a week ago. And it was a great question. I hope you're listening because this is, it was a great question. She asked, how is it possible for like to attract like, and then for opposites to attract? Okay. Awesome question. Awesome question. Because those two phrases are thrown around, especially I'm always throwing around like attracts like. So this is how I'm going to break it down. This is my, the way I view it. Okay. Like attracts like, when you're talking about your own thoughts, it is always like attracts like, 100% at all times. When you're talking about energy, as far as the energy you put out and what gets reciprocated, like attracts like. When you were talking about respect, as far as like, I'm going to treat myself this way, this is the standard, people are going to be repelled very quickly if they can't treat you less than that. They see how you treat yourself and they respond. So when it comes to all that shit, 100% like attracts like. And this is because, especially with your own thoughts, the brain always reaches for similar thoughts. It it always looks for what is easiest. And the beauty of that is if you get into a good pattern of of, um, beneficial thoughts, you're going to stay there for a lot longer than 
you know, then, and you're not going to be dipping back into negative thoughts. The bad news is when you're having a spiral of bad thoughts, you've got to find circuit breakers because it's very easy to reach for the next bad thought. We never sit there thinking, wow, I feel so shit about myself. And the next thought straight away is like, fuck yeah, how good is life? That's not how it goes. You know, you need to normally create a circuit breaker of those negative thoughts, neutralize, and then reach for a higher thought. I've got other podcasts about that altogether. Now, when it comes to opposites attract, that, especially in regard, this, I believe, is especially in regard to romantic relationships where opposites attract. Now, I believe that the reason opposites attract is because we as humans have a need for adventure, for something new, for something exciting. We need that, okay? But on the flip side, on the other end of that scale, we also need stability and safety, so we want consistency, consistency, stability and safety, rituals, habits. We need that on one side, but then we also crave excitement, something new, something spontaneous. So we have to always be servicing those two areas in our life. That's why when you find something that's, you might, you might seek your excitement in outdoor things that you do. You might want to go skydiving or this or that. You might seek your excitement in your career or you might seek that excitement in your partner, okay? I don't think that a relationship is better or worse if you guys are very similar, if you're very opposite. I think what matters is that you're on the same page about the deeper topics, like morally you have the same morals. Apart from that, there's no right or wrong whether you want to have an opposite partner. or That doesn't matter. I don't think that there's no science behind that on which one's a more successful couple but that's basically what I what I believe in when when opposites attract it's because you're seeking the excitement part of your life and when like attracts like it's got to do with energy and your own thoughts it is always like attracts like with those guys I hope that this episode was helpful um I had a great time talking about the sciencey side of things at the beginning. I'm going to be adding more and more science into these episodes. Um, so if you have on the Facebook page, we did have some requests for things. So something that will be coming up. Um, the science of sleep is one that's coming up. Uh, MDMA was one that was asked for. So I'll definitely be talking about that. Um, I'll be talking about THC and CBD, psychedelics, all the above. Um, so good, exciting things to come. Uh, and also heaps more guests on. But the annoying thing is this bloody COVID and I love to do guests in person, but whatever. We'll sort it out. I'll get some over the phone. Um, thank you so much for listening as always. Massive, big, big, big love. Love you all. Thank you so much for supporting me with the card game, guys. You have been so amazing. And every time I get an order, I'm so, so grateful and I can't thank you enough. So I really appreciate that. Guys, as always, remember, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.